To be human is to pray. Did you catch that? To be human is to pray. And oftentimes prayer is from a place of helplessness. One author has said, prayer is the least weird, most, mater- most natural, necessary, and wonderful invitation. No one finds it easy. And that's what happened with Stanley Premeth. He prayed, Lord, I can't do this. And what he saw coming at him caused him to pray when he cried out, Lord, I can't do this. Stanley was at the time serving as the assistant vice president of Fuji Bank on the 81st floor of the South Tower in New York. And he explains his experience on 9-11 this way. All I remember as I went to my office is I didn't know what happened. I began looking towards the North Tower that had gotten hit. And then a colleague, a young lady from our Chicago office, which is an hour behind us, said, picked up the phone and she said, get out. Get out for what? Tell me and I will get out. Stanley, I don't have time. Get out. There were, as I was holding the phone, something caught my eye, Stanley wrote. Little at first, gray in color, and every second getting larger and larger. And United Airlines 175 is eyeballing me, coming towards me. Eye level, eye contact. As this plane is coming toward me, I hear that revving sound, and the plane starts to tilt. And all I remember saying is this, Lord, I can't do this. You take over. The plane started to tilt within the closest yards. I screamed and prayed, Lord, I can't do this. You take over. And I dove under my desk, and that's all I remember seeing. Stanley was on the 81st floor of the World Trade Center South Tower when United Flight 175 hit the building. The plane crashed in floors 75 through 81. He was 82, and he was on 81. The only desk that stood firm was my desk, Stanley said, and I had my Bible on top of the desk. Everything else was shattered. It looked like a demolition crew had come in and ripped the place apart. Every wall is flattened. All the windows were popped. And what you didn't see on TV was the pressure was so great, it was sucking everything out. Stanley prayed to God, asking for anyone to help him. I started to scream and pray, Lord, I don't want to die. Send someone. In that split second, someone heard that petition and that cry, and they helped me. I started to think as I was crawling over the wall, Lord, who is going to walk Stephanie down the aisle, my oldest daughter? Who's going to befall my wife and all the bills I have to pay? I don't care. Obviously, Stanley and his friend made it out of the South Tower and others lost their lives. He wrote wrote later, thinking about that day, he said, it was through the grace of God that I lived and I beat all the odds So today I got up this morning and I walked outside and I said and prayed, Lord, thank you for another day. Your mercies are renewed every morning and I thank you for that grace. Prayer is natural. Prayer at times is a paradox. We can't figure out everything about the mystery of prayer. But we have a time in our church and in our community and in the history of our nation where we need to pray like never before, not only for the personal mess in our own lives, but certainly in the brokenness of the culture that we see around. To be human is to pray. And so this morning, we start a brand new series entitled, Lord, Teach Us to Pray. And everything spins off of one word, and if you get the word right, the rest of the prayer makes sense. And the one word that spins off of everything is the word Father. If you get that right, the whole sermon, 
the whole sermon of Jesus and the whole prayer of Jesus makes sense. Understand what that word father truly means and unpacked. Anglican scholar J.I. Packer said this, the author of Knowing God, he said, the great jewel of the New Testament, the great jewel of the New Testament is the revelation of the fatherhood of Almighty God. It's the fatherhood of the Almighty God. So Jesus prays this prayer that is so common and so many people know. It's only 51 words. It's in the middle of a sermon. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. It's found in Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 6, and then Matthew chapter 7. And smack dab in the middle of it is this prayer that we know so well. And it's actually an invitation for God's people who stand in a different position with the deity. And each one of the sections of this prayer build on one another, but if you understand the Father, if you know who this Father is, you understand his kingdom, the Father's will, the Father's protection, the Father's provision, and the Father's triumph over evil. It all spins on the words of the Father. Jesus himself is the perfect human being. He is God in the flesh, and he unapologetically invites you and I into a holy community. And to be intentional about that, he uses family language, family language, not for a family that's far away, but for a family that's very, very close, and that makes all the difference in the world. So we're going to take a look at Matthew chapter 6, the Lord's Prayer. That's what we're going to focus on up, till, up through Thanksgiving. I invite you to open up a Bible to Matthew chapter 6. I'll begin in verse 5, and then when we get to the Lord's Prayer, I'll invite you to pray with me the Lord's Prayer. Does that make sense? So Jesus fronts it with a couple don'ts before the Lord's Prayer. Uh, don't be like the hypocrites who are, are praying so that everybody notices it. Don't be like that. And then Jesus also says, don't be like the pagans who just babble on and on and on and on. And if they say the right words, if they say the right formula, if they check off the boxes, then maybe God will answer their prayers. And Jesus says, don't be like that. So reading in Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. Did you find it? And when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogue and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room and close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, don't keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This is then how you should pray. Join me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespassed against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, what a wonder and absolute gift it is that we are able to address you as Father. 
and to be in your holy and divine presence that is with us now. We have been invited into a relationship with you because of Jesus, through Jesus, in Jesus. He is the reason why. I pray that you would use my words as your voice this morning. And once again, that you would take the written and living word and have your Holy Spirit enlighten our hearts and minds for not just understanding, but action as we are sent out and we are scattered into our community. We thank you that daughters and sons are invited and, and welcomed. How could this possibly be true except your son's death and resurrection? So Lord, I pray that you would teach us to pray, to pray like we have never prayed before, and that our church would be known as the bold church that's on our knees. We pray this prayer that you would show us how to pray in humility and repentance and that we would seek you with mercy and grace and wisdom as we navigate these crazy ways. So we pray, Lord, that you would once again bring a fresh and mighty wind and a sweep through this place by your presence. In Christ's name and all God's people said, amen. So let's just spend some time in this first part of what's called the Lord's Prayer. It's called the introduction, and we're going to just kind of pick it apart and say, why is that significant? I made this statement that everything spins off the word Father. The term Father emphasizes his forever character. Let me explain that or say that again. The term Father emphasizes his forever character. Father is a personal relationship versus a devised technique or formula or recipe to get what you want. A father emphasizes the relationship of a child to a parent. It's intimacy, it's trust. The father brings out a daughtership or a sonship as a follower of Christ. And the father gives us a, a confidence and a trust of that of a child because they know the love of the father. Now let me explain it this way. Of all the words that Jesus could have used, there would have been some other ones that would have maybe seemed to fit. Jesus could have used the word that when you pray, you pray to God and say Yahweh or the great I am. He is the covenant-keeping God. Or he could have used the word Elohim, which is used multiple times, 30-plus times in the book of Genesis chapter 1. It means it's a reference to the God of the Trinity. He could have used God of angel armies, Lord Sabbath. He could have used a number of different words for God, but he uses the word Father. And I had always thought that when Jesus introduced people to this term, when you pray, say, our Father, there was a shock, like they had never heard that before, but that's not true. In fact, in Jesus' sermon, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the word Father is used 15 times. I didn't know that before. It's used 15 times in the sermon. I think he's trying to get a point across. It's used seven times before he says this and seven times after he says this. But what's unique to this is that, well, it tells us that we should follow in our Father's footsteps. So let me illustrate this first, and then I'll show you our Father's footsteps, okay? Uh, when my dad died 20 months ago, we had to empty his, uh, the nursing home that he stayed at, and we had been kind of slowly doing that but eventually, we had to start getting rid of some of his clothes. And I kept these pair of shoes from my dad. Because someone said, 
you've heard it said that if you want to know someone's life, walk a mile in their footsteps. And so my dad is in heaven, and I kept these shoes. Now, what's unique about this particular pair of shoes is if you only saw these shoes, you'd, you wouldn't know this about my dad, that he was an executive in Minneapolis for 45 years. But these were his last pair of shoes. And I don't know if you can see him from the back there or not or see it online, but these shoes are pretty ratty. They're all, brunt, I mean, they're, they're, they're nicked up, they're scuffed up, and you can see on the bottom that, well, they were worn out, and my dad just kind of wore out before he went to heaven. And I keep these shoes to remind me of my dad, to think about my dad. I slip them on when I go in the backyard or something like that. And it helps me understand my father's footsteps, and I think about my dad. So what was our father like? What was our father like? Sometimes we have this idea that God of the Old Testament is just really ticked off. He's angry. He's holy. We get it. It's the Ten Commandments. And then when the New Testament comes, we see Jesus and go, wow, now he's all huggy and warm and we kind of run to him. Those aren't the steps, the footsteps of the Father. They're not the footsteps of the Father at all. In fact, the first time that you, you might even see this idea of God being a father in the Old Testament is from Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 1 and 2. I'm going to go through these really quickly, and they're printed on your bulletin if you want to look them up later. But first time we find out about this is in the giving of the second law. It's a brand new generation, friends. They haven't heard the teachings of God before. And in Deuteronomy chapter 14, 1, it says, you're the children of the Lord. Well, if you're a child, you've got to have parents. If you're a child... Even, you got to have parents. Even if they're adopted parents, you got to have parents. In Deuteronomy 14, 1 says, you're the children of the Lord. You're God. Don't cut yourselves or shave the front of your heads for the dead. For your people, holy to the Lord, your God. Of all the peoples on the face of the earth, the Lord has chosen you to be his holy possession. Moses goes on to write in Deuteronomy 32, is this the way you repay the Lord? And foolish, unwise people, is he not your father? Your creator who made you and formed you? He's your father. The book of Psalms, the reason why we have the book of Psalms there is this is the songbook of the people of God. This is what people sing. In Psalm 103, it says this, As your father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on you. The prophet Jeremiah writes, in Jeremiah 3, I know I'm going through these really quick. You can look them up later. Jeremiah 3, have you not just called to me my father, my friend, from my youth? And then you get this crazy, crazy passage of Scripture, this minor prophet. God calls a man by the name of Hosea to marry a prostitute and have children with the prostitute as God's picture of his love for people. And this is what he says in Hosea 11, verse 1. And when Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. He's always been a father. His father forever character will endure forever. So when we approach him, we approach him not with repetition, but with one that we can know and that he cares for us and it's safe because of who he is. Well, then Jesus uses another word, and it's the word that's in italics in this opening phrase. Not only does everything spin off of in, in prayer about our Father, but notice the word in front of 
the word Father. It's our. Jesus fronts the word Father with the word our, and that it's unique and only used here. Here's the, when the NIV and the English really helps us, I mentioned this, the word Father in this prayer is so emphasized 15 different times, but watch this, friends. This is incredible, and we can't miss the emphasis. Seven times we hear this phrase in the English, your Father, and then we hear our Father, and seven times after that you hear your Father. Now, if you got a Bible, you're going to get a cramp in your hand because I'm going to go through this really quick. I'll show you the first seven, okay? Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, your Father. Matthew chapter 5, verse 45, your Father. Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, your Father. Matthew chapter 6, verse 4, your Father. Matthew chapter 6, 6, your Father and your Father. And Matthew chapter 8, your Father. What's the point? Jesus emphasizes something that you can't miss, that we, you and I both can't miss. He uses the word are. And what's, what's, why is that so significant? Because Jesus includes you and me in his company and us in the body of Christ are a part of the hour. Jesus, our Lord, is our brother. Jesus, our Savior, is our friend. He includes himself with us. We who are in Jesus and others, we call on him, and we call his name out. We have this beautiful invitation. Don't miss the R. Ours is an invitation to be a part of a holy community. That's what we're praying, friends. We're a part of what's called the body of Christ, and we belong to him. Now, let me show you this. You may not have grown up in a Lutheran tradition, but part of our Lutheran tradition is what's called understanding the catechism. So here's just a 20-second explanation. It'll be real brief. A catechism is used for instruction and teaching or to give lessons. It was never intended for it simply to be the religious professional or the pastor to teach. It was supposed to take place at the supper table. So it went like this in real time. Dad, what's God like? Well, champ, he's like a father. And here's a verse for it. Mom, why is there evil? Well, sweetheart, it's this reason. And then there's a verse. So for this particular petition or the intro, listen to what it means, our Father in heaven. With these words, God tenderly invites us to believe that he's our true father and that we're his true children. So we might pray to him as boldly and confidently as dear children ask their dear father. And so here's a question. It's question 286 in the catechism. Who can call God their father? Those who believe in Jesus as their savior can call God their father. In Galatians 4, 6 says this, because you are sons and daughters God has sent the spirit of his son, the one who calls out, Abba, Father. Not everyone, though, is a daughter or a son. Not everyone is. Jesus had this incredible encounter, a night encounter, friends, with someone who was religious, who knew all the forms, who knew all the commands, who knew all the formulas, and knew all the checklists. And he came and met Jesus at night, 
And Jesus looked at this man by the name of Nicodemus and used this phrase, Nicodemus, you must be born again. You must believe in the Son of God and be born again by the water and by the Spirit. That's who becomes sons and daughters of the Most High. Jesus is the gate. He is the way. He knows the Father. And we belong to him again and again and again. During this pandemic, our leadership, our staff, we as pastors, we have heard people again and again say, we miss being together. We miss community. We miss our time together. This is an invitation, friends, even greater to belong not to the cultural and the, and the values of the world, but to belong with the Lord Jesus Christ himself into a holy community of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and his people. The Apostle Paul writes, who wrote, who wrote over half the New Testament, he wrote about belonging. He wrote in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 5, you are all children of the light and children of the day. You don't belong to the night of darkness. He goes on to say in 1 Thessalonians 5, 5, 8, but since we belong to the day, let's be sober. Let's put on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. We long to belong. You want an illustration of that? Wednesday afternoon in Cooperstown, New York, one of the greatest shortstops in the history of baseball was elected into the Baseball Hall of Fame, number two, Derek Jeter of the great New York Yankees. This is what he said. His introduction speech on Wednesday, I always wanted to belong. I worked hard to belong to the New York Yankees. And I looked at, as I was watching this speech, this little clip that was on ESPN, I thought, you do belong. You played the greatest position in the most powerful baseball dynasty. You belonged for 20 years. What is going to be the seal that you belong? Jesus says this. He uses the word are with the understanding that we belong with our Heavenly Father through faith in Christ. But then Jesus locates it. He locates this, this idea of where our Father is. He identifies our Father location with not the word heaven, but the word heavens. The word there. Can you advance? There we go. The word that Jesus actually uses is plural. It's missed in translation, but it's actually plural. Our Father who is in the heavens. It's a plural word. And the reality of that changes the prayer from out there somewhere to right here, our Father is near. Listen to that. The reality of the heavens changes this prayer, our Father who art in the heavens, from somewhere out there to right here, our Father is near. It moves this someone from a galaxy far, far away and much later to being in the room. If we miss the plural, it omits the intended emphasis that our Father is always near us instead of out there somewhere far, far away. He's even in the atmosphere around our heads. You may say, I've never heard that before. Well, we pray, don't we? 
We pray, come, Heavenly Father, fill this place with your presence. We ask him to come and join us for our meals when our kids were, were little and they were growing up. We had a typical family, sorry to burst your bubble, but we would have fights at the kitchen table and at our dining room table, and then Julie would say, why don't you say grace? And one time I remember saying, Lord, I want to invite you to, uh, to come to our table. You just heard this fight. If you want to miss, skip on the Melitzers. I totally get it, okay? <laughs> but we ask him to come and be our guest. We sing a hymn, this old hymn called, O Worship the King. We sing, thy beautiful care, what tongue can recite? It breathes in the air, it shines in the light. It streams from the hills, it descends to the plains and gently distills in the dew and the rain. Isn't that what we sing? The heavens. You see the, the reality of the heavens change throughout the scriptures. You see it in the book of Genesis. In the Old Testament, our father was near this he- woman by the name of Hagar. She's an outcast concubine, and the angel of the Lord hears her from the heavens. The next chapter, Abraham, the, the father of our faith, is about to sacrifice and slit his son's throat, and out of heaven, God hears his voice. But then you see it in Genesis chapter 28. Jacob is on the run. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he's on the run. He's running away from his brother. And he has a vision of angels going up and down this ladder. And he says in Genesis 28, 16, the Lord is in this place, or the living Bible says, God lives here. God lives here. It's not just an Old Testament thing, no. It's a New Testament reality. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, the angel of the Lord says to Mary, and you will call his name Emmanuel, God with us. In the book of Acts 17, 28, we read this. For in him, Paul is preaching, we live and move and have our being. If you're not careful, you'll live in the damage. The damage that has been done. And the damage that I'm talking about is the understanding that we feel alone and we ask the question, God, where are you? But our Father is in the heavens, friends, and his gentle whisper is this to you today. I have never left you. Our Father is our hope in tragedy and triumph. Always has. Always will be. Now as we do, We ask some simple questions. You might be thinking about prayer this morning and thinking, man, I'm not good at this at all. So my question for you this morning is, what are the challenges of prayer that that you're facing? And then press in on that a little bit. When we think about prayer, what do you notice about yourself when your prayer life is regular? Regular and intentional. On the flip side of that, is what do you notice about yourself when your prayer life is inconsistent or unbalanced? And then one of the questions, because we teach this stuff to our middle school students in confirmation, this is one of the questions from the uh, workbook that we use, is as long as you say the right words, as long as you say the right words in the formula, you don't need to be honest. You say, that's not true. Why did you answer that way? This is my friend Carol Cox. You maybe don't know her, but she's been 
walking with Jesus for a long, long time, and she is a woman of prayer. And I thought to myself, if we're going to talk about prayer, why don't we hear from somebody who's a prayer? It's not a word, but you get it, right? <laughs> and so you got a group of folks here who are thinking, I know I should pray. I don't know where to start. What would you say to them? Well, first of all, uh, prayer is just not rocket science. It's a conversation. It's a conversation involved in the most important, intimate relationship that you will ever have. And so you talk to your friends every day. You talk to your family. Talk to him. Uh, you know, thank him for the beautiful sunrise. Tell him how you're feeling, your joys and your sorrows. Uh, thank him for the parking spot at Walmart that's close that my knees don't have to walk so far, you know. <laughs> Ask him to forgive you for the offenses you've heaped upon him. Uh, you know, keep the conversation going. Uh, this is conversation with our Father, with the great I Am, the, the ruler of the universe, the creator, sustainer, uh, you know, redeemer. And what a privilege. And uh, the uh, uh, thing that I think we need to avoid as we go to our prayer, let's not do genie prayers, you know. Uh, this is the putting God in a, in a magic lantern or, and uh, we rub the lamp and he's supposed to jump out and stamp our prayers approved and give us our heart's desire. And that's not what prayer is about. Uh, prayer is about relationship. And these genie prayers, if that's what your prayer life is like, I've learned the hard way it's going to be really dry and dreary, and you're going to wonder if God even hears you. You've been a prayer intercessor for years and years. What's your nugget? What's a takeaway that you've learned over the years in your prayer life? Well, probably uh, one of the things is uh, the, the Lord kind of hit me over the head with it, uh, you know, in the Bible where it says several times, be still and know that I am God, you know, translated into the modern vernacular that shut up and listen. <laughs> uh, Job learned that. He said, I put my hand over my mouth. That means I'll shut up and, and be still here, mm -hmm. you know. And so I've learned to practice what's called the discipline of silence. Uh, that means you focus on the Lord. You, you know, you got all these mice, th the thoughts that are like mice jumping around in your mind. You just try to still them and listen to the Holy Spirit talking to you. Listen to his word uh, that's coming through to you and, and, and the Lord getting a word in edgewise. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, the other thing being the genie prayers that I talked about. Don't do them. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know. Praise him for who he is. Uh, get to know him. And, and even if you never get to the supplication, to the petitions and everything, you'll go away feeling that he knows my heart. Yeah. Most people, when they hear prayer, final one I want you to share on. Most people, when they hear prayer, they want answered prayer. I mean, we get all kinds of prayer requests to us as staff, our elders, our prayer team. But you've seen prayers that haven't been answered. Three ways God, it's said that three ways God answers prayer. Yes, no, and wait. And over the years, we've had some answered prayers, no. And the answered prayers, wait. What's that been like? 
Well, uh, probably one major thing is uh, years ago, uh, my marriage was breaking up. And for some of you may know, my ex-husband uh, is gay. In fact, right now he's dealing with uh, HIV and AIDS. And uh, way back when, uh, my marriage was crumbling rapidly, and, and I was basically yelling at God and, and praying to him and saying, you can't let this happen. Marriage is sacred to you. You just can't. Uh, one of the things that I had really done was put my husband and my marriage on the throne that belonged to God, and he won't put up with that. And anyway, uh, uh, God crashed my marriage. I mean, it, he didn't do what I wanted him to do. And looking back now, after something like 40 years, uh, I can see that had I, my marriage not broken up, had God not pulled me out of there, first of all, I wouldn't have learned that I need to put him first over everything else. But secondly, I might have had years of really a lot of heartbreak. I mean, it wasn't that I didn't cry and mourn this marriage for years, but I would have had a lot tougher going. Uh, and the other thing is, I could actually have AIDS myself now or some kind of disease. So God is merciful even when we think he isn't. There's so much more to prayer, okay? And so we're going to talk more about that. We're going to see the connection between our Father and his name and his kingdom and his will and his provision and his protection. We'll keep doing that more and more. But we'd like to invite you to learn with us, and there's just different ways that you can do that. They're listening to your bulletin. One, I'd love for you to, I'd encourage you to buy a catechism. Buy a Luther's catechism and read along and kind of use it for your devotions. Uh, secondly, and this is printed in your bulletin, there's a wonderful book on prayer. Now, there are gazillion books on prayer, okay? I've got like tons of prayer books. But one that we're recommending is from O. Halsby. Oli Halsby. How's that for Norwegian? His, I think his middle name was Ufta. I'm not sure, but... If you go to Old Halsby's prayer, you'll, you'll enjoy that as we learn along. And the final thing, if you just want something free, and Carol reminded me about this, just uh, go online, just Google Martin Luther's simple prayer to his barber. I always thought that was fun. He's having a conversation with his barber with scissors in his hands, and I'm like, okay, okay. You can download that for free. We're on a journey of prayer. Lord, teach us to pray. So I ask my friend Carol if you'd end our service with prayer. I'm going to pray a prayer that's a springboard off of the Lord's Prayer. Uh, when we talk about praying scripture, this is kind of what it looks like. Our Father in heaven, thank you that in Christ we can have this ongoing and intimate relationship with you through prayer and the scripture. Thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit to guide us and lead us as we come to you in prayer and in the study of your word. Father, may we at Bethesda hold your name high and reverence it among us. Might we live out your kingdom in the here and now of our everyday lives, as well as live in anticipation of being a part of your eternal kingdom through Christ. Help us, Father, through the scripture and prayer under the guidance of the Holy Spirit to seek to do your will, even when we would much rather do our own will. 
forgive us for that and forgive all our sins that they might not hinder our prayers and our relationship with you. May our hearts be tender, willing to forgive others just as you have forgiven us. Help us not to hold grudges or to separate ourselves, especially not from our brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, deliver us from all the wicked schemes of the evil one uh, who would lead us astray. We also ask your protection from those who seek to harm us and destroy us. Lord, walk beside us through those valleys of the shadow of death, whether they are personal or national in scope. After all, Lord, you are sovereign ruler of all. You are all powerful and mighty, nothing is beyond you. And ultimately all glory, honor, and praise are due to you and to you alone throughout all time and space and eternities. We come to you asking this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you, friend. Let's stand together and let's sing our last song. 